Bicycle kicks alone in the backyard. Oh, look, he left his microphone. I think he was recording a new episode of Stoppage Time. What's that? Oh, it's the Upper 90 Club's evergreen content series featuring stories and interviews surrounding the Columbus crew. Where can I listen to it? I don't know. Wherever you get postcards, postcats, podcasts. Girls, you gotta see what I'm working on outside. What are you doing in here? I'm making a new podcast. (laughs) All right. Hello and welcome to the club. I'm your host, Mars, and this is episode 18 of the Upper 90 Club, a roundtable podcast where five friends discuss the Columbus crew. On this episode, we run through the state of the crew, and recap and react to the US MNT friendlies from last week. And we may finally drift into the off the field happenings with the team's leadership. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> with me in the club, we have Ben, Mort, Trey, and Haas. Say hi, guys. Hi, guys. Hello. Get crazy. Hi. So tonight, uh, we, uh, we had plans that changed we expected to talk esports uh and we're going to come back to that at a later date but in the meantime i was looking forward to um talking video games with you guys so uh before we uh before we jump in i kind of wanted to like just get a feel for what your uh what your gaming backgrounds are uh personally you know we had my older sister's atari Uh, we had the regular nintendo but that was like a gift from a rel- you know I, I felt like I was always two systems behind like the 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 current one you know so like when the when the PlayStation was coming out I was like getting a Nintendo and playing Mario three and everyone had you had to played. walk like forty miles to school exactly yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I got the <laughs> Nintendo sixty four uh, and and that changed my life so. Uh, shout out to Mario Kart, Double Dash. Mario Kart was also great on the GameCube. So, um, and then of course, yeah, FIFA. Haas and I played FIFA, I think starting what, 05, 06. But I kind of wanted to hear from you guys, like what what your background is. Ben, why don't you start? Wait, I got a question. You said you had an Atari and we were texting and more. You said you had an Atari too. I didn't think, did you guys really have Ataris? Oh yeah, yeah. but I have all older siblings too though. So yeah. I mean, it was kind of facing I out when I had it. Mine, oh, yeah. mine was for yeah. my older sister. We played Pong, you know, all kinds of cool things. Pong? Yeah. yeah. Wasn't that in like 85? No. We're not that old. I mean, okay. So, Shut up. yeah, I didn't, ha- I was up, not the man. oldest. Yeah, I wasn't, the, <laughs> I, was I didn't six. have an oldest sibling. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I just, Atari's wasn't, it's not even, I, I'm the oldest one in my entire like family. I'm even older than my parents. So that's like how that, <laughs> so that's like not a thing. Yeah, gaming, gaming. I mean, currently, I'm I game a ton, but I, I'd say it kind of all started 007 Goldeneye. Yeah, at my yeah, parents' yeah, house, thank you. like because it was Double Dash worked. I mean, that was also huge. I can't believe I didn't say Goldeneye. I, I remember playing Tecmo Super Bowl on the regular. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They just I think they just released it on the Switch. Correct. If I'm not mistaken, but I'm scared to. I I just I don't I don't think that's actually going to hold up, but. Yeah, it was Goldeneye, and it was earlier. It was Tech Mobile and Blades of Steel. Blades of Steel. Ooh, Those were like the yeah. sports games I played. But before I got on here, I'm replaying Borderlands Two. But before I leave, I want to say that my favorite game definitely is the Mass Effect well, series. And I, I also forgot to mention uh, Ocarina of Time for the 64. That was a good one. Too. Oh yeah, Mort. Okay, so you had an Atari, and you mentioned yeah. Pong. I remember we had a game called Skiing, where you would. You know, you would ski. Was it downhill and you had to avoid yeah, stuff? Yeah. Like, okay, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. And yeah. we there was one called Combat. And then we also had the, those really bad, like E.T., the one where you just fall into a pit and the game is over. You can't mm-hmm. beat, yeah. And then <laughs> we had uh, Superman, which I think was also just, it was like just one frame. But What was the other one? Pitfall? Yep. Yeah, pit, yeah, yeah, Pitfall. yeah, yeah. Kaboom. Maybe I do know Atari. Maybe I'm getting, I don't know. Weird. So, so th- that was like early memories for me. And first of all, when you guys said we started playing FIFA 2005, me and my partners were playing FIFA 96. 
Yep. And it was on computer. But this is the fun part. It was on computer. We found all the audio files for the crowd and we recorded our own sounds for the chairs and stuff. Oh, so it was our that's own amazing. <laughs> it was really fun. But yeah, I, I, I remember Commodore VIC-20 and then we had a Commodore Amiga. And on that one, I played Sensible Soccer, which is one of my favorite soccer games even to the, the, this state. All they used was Spacebar and the Arrows. That was all. It was like tiny, tiny players. And it was a great game. And I see it online sometimes. You know, it's like one of those free online games. I will play it. I yeah. love it. We should have called the podcast Sensible Soccer. Mm. <laughs> no. We completely dropped the ball. That is what's going to be the title of this, this episode. Oh, Sensible excellent. Soccer. Insensible Soccer. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Trey? Um, kind of going to echo everything you guys just said. Started out with the Atari moved to the NES, but I never got to play it because it was my older sister always played and it was, you can play when I'm done. And then she'd yeah. go on and win everything. Um, but yeah, Blade to Steel, the original Zeldas, um, and then on to, we didn't have Super NES. We had the, the Sega Genesis. Um, oh, you were a Sega kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sonic and and Mortal Kombat and all that stuff. The good Mortal Kombat with the blood. You know, t- uh, Time Warner used to have something called Sega Channel. Yeah, and, I remember that. And remember that. you could like you like plug a cartridge in that was connected to like a coaxial cable or something. <laughs> and it would you'd get like 60 games you could play for the month and then they would like switch it up. Yeah, I still fall into the, the casual gamer though. Because I mean, I, I had a PS1, a PS3, a PS4. I've got an Xbox 360, a Wii, an Xbox One, but I just don't play that. Yeah, sounds casual. But yeah. I don't play. I, I literally don't just, play. Are these investments? They're yes, like, I literally. They, I, are they still in their box? And <laughs> <laughs> no. I, I I sold my to, 360. Like, babies and <laughs> speaking of which, I sold my 360. Had to buy it again because my wife wanted to play rock band. So we have the whole rock band guitar oh, setup. Yeah. I forgot about that. You know, because she, well, that's cool she enjoys doing that. And uh, But all-time favorite, still Modern Warfare, Call of Duty. I got hooked on that for a while. but I like the idea of gaming, and I like it. And I, I, I want to play, and I never find the time. That's yeah. So I always yeah. find myself playing those easy, nice, like quick and easy games. So I like to play you know, on Nintendo Switch with the kids like Mario Kart. And yeah, stuff I'm, like that. I'm getting ready to bust our, our old consoles out with our kids. Haas, what about you? Uh started with NES. I never did the Atari, but from there basically played every system. Uh, I love the classics like Punch-Out, Contra. Oh, Contra was great. We had like, you had eight, seven kids? Seven kids, kids in the family. In uh, but yeah, Contra, Punch-Out, I can still go back and play those games. Punch-Out's still fun. I played that recently. Punch-Out is great. Contra is so hard. That game is so hard. Yeah, By yourself. Not very forgiving. Yeah. Great two-player game. And then all I currently play is FIFA. It's like the only video game that I play. Well, Haas and I, when Haas and I used to play music together, there was a time when we spent a little time out uh, on the road. And we were challenged to a double dash competition at Carabar on the big screen. And so we tra- we trained. We were training on this nine inch television in our van. Victory. Uh, and we, just, we, we were just drilling all the maps. We had it all down. Who was driving? Who was, you know, shooting shells and this kind of thing. And we got to Carabar like everything it was like you know cool runnings like we had everything memorized another 90s throwback felt very confident so confident so confident and just got smoked we like (laughs) publicly publicly humiliated on a really big screen (laughs) on a huge screen we we promoted it and just got completely smoked the only saving grace was the free popcorn that we got there at Carabar (laughs) (laughs) R.I.P. Anyway, all of this is to say that um, I soon we're going to be talking to the Godfather. Yeah, at least one esports player, someone who is playing a FIFA for a living. So um, you know these these stories may uh, may uh, pale in comparison to 
to what that's like, but uh, looking forward to that discussion. So, yeah, I want to give a shout out before we go that uh, there was like four or five years ago, um, both Haas and Trey and I played in like lands. So we definitely like nerded out back. We were playing like CSGO and Counter the first Halo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Counter-Strike and stuff like Rocket that. So, League. Yep. I mean, yeah, that was like five years ago. We had like PCs. We were doing the WASD, the whole thing. So, I mean, we're well-versed, but I don't know. I still can't get over Ataris. I just... <laughs> no, I I absolutely love gaming. I just do not have the time. That's that's my issue. I mean, yeah, love it, love playing. But yeah, well, so that's. I mean, I guess that's kind of my point. Is like, I I think that if you've if you've got kids and you know you're playing sports and you're going to shows or whatever, the only time you really have to spare is if you were to quit your job and and play for a living. So I'm interested to hear that perspective. Um, okay. So we're going to go into our corrections. I know that that Ben prepared a few. Typically, I'm I'm not a huge uh, proponent on this, but um, oopsie doos. Well, yeah, we had some good ones. Uh, first one was that I said that uh, Triple H was uh, Diesel uh, when I was talking <laughs> about the uh, the pointing finger hand that I got as a child. Uh, that's that was doused in diesel gasoline. It turns out that that was actually Kevin Nash, uh, Big Sexy, I think was his name. I hope that uh, we don't no. have to recorrect next week. Yeah, no, <laughs> that was at one point. <laughs> okay, all right. So both true and so a nickname. For anyone so. who was who was bothered by that, um, apologies there. And, There's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, oh yeah, and then Ben was. I mean, I honestly that whole middle segment on the last show where nobody knew anything. Like, I think that we should just apologize for that. Oh, you mean but, all the episodes forever? <laughs> yeah. Forward? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, that, and I said it was episode uh, 16, but it was actually 17. Um, yeah. So um, Hughes has has never been to Toronto. Um, we we checked past past flight records and uh, passports and uh, he's never never set foot in Canada. So, um, yeah, I dug through his garbage. Yeah. Nothing. So. So that that correction needed to happen. Um, were there were there others? I think that's it. I mean, I'm sure we messed up, okay. but nobody's perfect. So, <laughs> well, that's what I said last time. Uh, okay, so before we jump in, um, I want to make sure we mention that uh, you can email us at podcast at upper ninety club dot com to uh, to help keep us uh, keep us honest and. Submit any comments or questions, which we we actually we got a good one um, between the last two shows that we're going to talk about here in a minute. And also, you can uh, follow us on Upper Ninety Club Pod uh, at Twitter and Instagram. So, uh, let's talk the crew. Um, first topic for our crew roundup is that the the crew announced two premium seating sections uh, for this season. Who wants to describe that, and then we can kind of talk about what that means. There's all premium sections. Everything is well. Premium. That's that's kind of the thing. I mean, they announced an additional seating section that's above Nordec. That is the party deck um, that will be considered the premium seating. Based on their pictures, it's going to have uh, private bars and refrigerators and and sofas and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's going to be akin to the like the theater boxes that are above. I think section one. 31 um the lead sheets the river club top goldfish yeah uh river club um huntington field club Tipico sports club it is exactly what it says it's a more premium section you're paying for the experience that they're going to provide in there i think the frustration that i have heard um from different parts of crew nation would just be it's another part of the atmosphere that they're taking away from Nordic and turning it into something else um, without consulting said fans. Oh, we can talk to Tyler about that and see what really happened. You know, I, I, I saw um, a tweet from uh, Chris Lamacchia who, you know, he had spoken um, with Kristen Bernert who apologized about the lack of communication or the, the mishap in communication when this was released without having com, uh, Nordic communication. I can give you my take on it. Please. 
I was pissed three years ago when we opened the stadium because I specifically asked those decks that are in the pictures above Nordic, are they going to be open to the public? And I was told, yes, I buy Nordic tickets. They're closed. They reserve them for private events. There's one elevator. There's 60 flight or 60 steps to go up, whatever it is. You can't access it. We were lied to from the beginning. Piss me off. I'm over it. They can do with it whatever they want to. You, you sound way over it. I am so <laughs> over it. It's a cool vantage point up there. I've watched a couple games up there. You can Guys, see. Did, just were we all there the, the first? Yes. Were we there the first game? It's a great vantage. It's great. It's wonderful. But guess what? It's their stadium. They can do what they want with it. If they want to do fancy stuff, they can do fancy stuff. I won't be involved. I don't care. I'm over it, clearly. <laughs> My concern was all the pulleys and ropes and everything else for the giant TIFOs all work through that section, and I'm assuming they're going to have some sort of solution in place for that, but that was my first thought. I'm so confused. So you have Nordic, and then there's two is decks there like above. a middle section? Uh, yeah, and, and the then top, the deck yeah. above that is where we stood like the first game or two. Right. And then we were like, sweet, this is awesome. No one knows about this. You actually step down. It's like a like a mm -hmm. whole like standing room area. Man, it's, it is cool. That is an awesome vantage point. Love it. I think um, I think our um, we took a photo of Haas with his Nordex shirt. That's our Twitter thing from that vantage point. So that's a good. So if you go to our Twitter, I think that that photo is there. Someone double check that. If not, it's an oopsie doo. Uh, but yeah, it, like that that whole section, that whole part of the stadium should be for everybody, especially up there. It is cool. Like you can party up there and walk around and all that stuff's fun. But I think, yeah, what Tracy was saying is like you that's where the TIFO comes and they don't want to advertise that as premium seating. And then at the beginning of the game, they drop a thing where you can't see for like X amount of minutes, but also that's kind of the, then the breaks, right? Like that's part of the experience is to be part of the TIFO. I mean, they should, they should, they know that, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, they've been renting it out now without calling it a premium seating experience for the last two seasons. So there's not, not really nothing new. It's just official now. And they're spicing it's really the it up. difference. They're going to spice it Yeah, they're it adding. Up. Yeah. They're adding stuff. So is the lack of use, was that coming from the lack of accessibility or the fact that there was really nobody really wanting to make, you know, 60 steps all the way up after having like six beers? So my take on it was it was originally going to be a gathering space, kind of like where we used to stand above Nordic. That was kind of our thing. And then people looked at it and went, wait a minute. We can sell this space. Cha-ching. Cha-ching. And before it opened, that's what happened. It became a corporate rent-out space um, for for bigger parties. But now it's going to be more loungy, drinks, food included, all that comes with the ticket. Yeah. There better be a hot tub up there. So, yeah. so here's, here's my thing, nice. and this might be the European take, and some of you, based on where you are standing, might not like my take. I like butts in the seats. I like that for, for the feel, for the crowd, for the intensity of kind of being there and not like hundreds and hundreds of people just walking just and standing meandering, around. Meandering. Vagabonds. Yeah, meandering around. Yeah. I feel like it has disconnect with the game. Yeah. If you go, you never see that in intense European stadiums. Everybody have their butts in the seats. And I, I like that. And I feel like that's where you should be. Well, they're usually standing, right? Like they don't really sit the entire game. No, I, I understand that, but you have a spot. I mean, an area. The one thing I will say, the one thing I will say, and this is, it is what it is. I understand where my, my time lies right now. I've got two kids. I take a stroller. You know, there's no way I can sit in a seat with two kids oh, yeah, and yeah, come yeah. to the game. I'm going to be three. It, correct. It just is what it is. Like, I love to go to the games. I love that I can take my kids and they can run wild where we do stand. And I would love to sit in a seat when my kids are old enough to sit in a seat. Oh, no, I understand That's that. That's fine. And I agree with you. Sit in a seat. If you have a seat and you're old, sit in a seat. Yeah, but that area up there, you can't put more than like seats straight across. It's more depth. Like there's it, there's a lot of depth behind. Yeah. But there's not, it's not like there's seats. It's going to be like a, uh, they're not changing like open area. They're not changing anything that they were already doing. So it's going to be a corporate. They were doing the same thing on the stage at the Map Free. Yes. That's exactly like what they, it they is. Have, yeah. They're yeah, taking sure. a corporate gathering space. They're sprucing it up. It's going to look nice. It'll be good. 
No issue. My issue comes three years ago when the decision was made to not allow us to stand up there and turn it into um, a, a space that they were going to rent out. We just got we just got to get some scratch together and and rent it out. I mean, you know, <laughs> and we we wouldn't have anything to complain about. We could just lord over everyone else. So it's fun in that. Yeah. Well, are we ready to? I, I want to jump into this question that we got. Um, it's from someone who sounds pretty smooth. Too smooth. Uh, Rob, Rob Thomas. Uh, as much as Precourt is hated by crew fans, why do so many fans hold on to the circular logo and branding developed and introduced during his tenure? It seems that fans might have embraced the new branding simply to purge things from the Precourt era, which I understand. Um, but I haven't heard... Uh, haven't haven't heard that discussed. So, um, and in even our and here's where we get called out by Rob Thomas. E- even our logo is a nod to the pre-court logo. Uh, so, uh, this is our our chance to uh, to defend ourselves. <laughs> yeah, and we probably know where he lives. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. watch your tongue, Rob Thomas. <laughs> Who wants the first crack at this one? October 8th, 2014, new logo and branding announced mm-hmm. to be debuted in 2015. Okay. However, they had been surveying people working on the rebrand for two years before that, before Precourt even owned the group, when Hunt Sports Group still owned it. They were working on the rebrand. So it was all in the works pre Precourt. And you knew all this off the top of your head, right? So like when asked, you were <laughs> well, like, yeah, 100%. Did not know that. I went and looked for dates, found some articles, and dispatch articles uh-huh. and whatnot. But okay. I feel like I had also heard, and I couldn't, I didn't have enough time to find it, but I thought that the design was put together locally by people from Columbus. Um, it was, it was done in-house. That I knew for sure. Okay. It was done in a house. No, no, no. It was done in-house at the stadium. Um, my wife knew the person working on the design. So, yes, it was done. So here. that was before pre-court. They had the circle logo kind of hashed out with, you know, like the checkers and stuff. Is that right? It was at least in the works. Yeah. Okay. This seems this seems like a good legal response. I mean, like, <laughs> I don't know that we're really answering the question, though. No, we're not. We're avoiding it because <laughs> I don't associate it to pre-court is okay. And I never have. Yeah. I'm I'm with you there. I mean, I don't I I don't really think about it like that, but Yeah, but when I read it, I was like that it that's exactly like yeah, I don't associate it with pre-court, but it definitely came because he's the new owner. It is at 100% is yeah, pre-court. Yeah, it was like new owner, new brand and we're like, yes. I think it, they yeah. sold him on it. We got this rebrand in the works. Yeah. You can get I, the club and I it's hear, already coming. I hear what I you're saying. Know. I just don't he think He had that, no say. I don't think that justifying it like with timelines and circumstances really yeah. answers the question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad you did your research because I'm like, yeah, take that, Rob yeah. Tom. But the reality is like I did really like that logo. We definitely mirrored our, you know, logo after that. And for some reason, I don't think any of us associates associates that that circle logo with Anthony Precourt, the worst person ever. No, and I think I think you you said it, Hoss. It, it took the time to develop that. I I have a feeling I got a survey at some point in time where there was some input on things, so it was kind of an involvement, and it was announced, and we knew it was in the making. Everybody was discussing what is it going to be, and so on. So it was kind of a build up to it. We were excited. I mean, I'm sure not everybody was super happy right away with that one either. So that's a whole other discussion. But I think it was a yeah. totally different embrace. And this was came as a surprise. We're like, we didn't think the logo was an issue, but it became an issue. I mm-hmm. I think when it when it came out, when the circle logo came out, it it kind of had a a grown up vibe, where it, yeah. you know it's kind of like, all right, this looks like other teams that. Or respectable that I watch like overseas yeah. or like it's like oh yeah this crew crew's got the crew's got the the grown up pants on now you know and then and I think conversely 
the I mean, I'm, we talked about the other logo. We don't have to jump into it. I think we actually said we weren't going to get back into it. Um, but yeah, I guess I just didn't have a problem with the circular one when they came out with the other one that that I I didn't I didn't prefer at the time. You know, we left the day of '96 behind with soccer balls with flames on it and you know <laughs> right. these, these goofy to be different for the sake of being different than everything else. Yeah, and we kind of embraced the soccer culture, and I think we kind of matured as a yes as a fan base. I and think, I think the, it matched that. The heart of kind of what Mr. Thomas is is getting at possibly is. Um, there was a lot of emotion going on at the time that the new logo came out and more than anything else, that emotion played into the hatred for that logo. It was, we saved the crew. We saved our team. We fought, we fought, we fought. What do you mean you're changing it? Why are you changing it? Why are you doing this to us? And it was more of an emotional response. It didn't matter whether it was the best logo in the world whatever they would have put out there would have gotten the same response. So Good call. I think mm-hmm. people like the circle logo because of the emotional connection to save the crew and, and that more than anything else. It also puts Columbus on the logo and the font, the, the font word, is, uh, the word. Yes. Columbus. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I was confused. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what you mean by that. It, before yeah. it was just crew and now it's, a carabiner. So no, right. but they do. The logo does. It does include Columbus Crew, doesn't it? The new logo. Oh, like oh, it's not. It's it not top? within the pennant. It's above and Nailed below, it. right? <laughs> Correct. Yeah. 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 I think. I think it's like Anthony Precourt left, and we won. It felt like we won the right to that logo. Like that's ours. That's ours. Like you get out yeah. of here, but that's us. Like that's our team. So I never associated him with the logo. I associated the logo with the team. And because he left in that state, I was like, cool, that's my club. That's what's going to happen. But he's completely right. Like it came with the rebrand of the new ownership. Like it came with pre-court. That was a pre-court thing, whether it started or not. Like I was always under the impression that he did what our current owners did. It was like, all right, new regime, new logo, new branding. It's ours now, which is what he did. And we were totally stoked on that. You know, we were calling him all sorts of stuff like, you know, Tony Aces and everybody was like really happy. But it turns out snake. not a cool dude, snake. complete snake. But yeah, I, I, that is such a good, I mean, when you really think about it, a lot of us gravitate towards that circle logo, but that was pre-court. Yeah. And they really, mm-hmm. I, when I read the question, I was like, oh no. Yeah. We got to cancel the podcast. Yep. If they would have done, burn it down. We've talked about it before. If, if they would have evolved that circular logo instead of a complete change, a complete 90 degree turn or 180, whatever you want to say, it would have been much better of a reception from crew faithful off the jump, probably off the jump. They would have just like turned it 90 degrees. You mean? Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Turn the circle, flip it on its head. Yeah, they yeah, they yeah. could have just evolved the logo into something a little bit newer, fresher, whatever, more angular if they wanted to take that aspect to it. Put a mic on it or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I remember, uh, Mort, you said that they, I remember them sending out things stating like, oh, what do you think? What do you want? What do you blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But like, I think we're all old enough now that like they don't read that. They just want you to. F- I mean, that's my opinion. Like they want yeah, you to feel no, a part of it. Like oh, I kind of want checkers. Are like yeah, we know we already put checkers in it. Like no one's listening to like what we have to say about you know the, the thing. Like the, especially like the new logo. It's like cool. We'll put a ninety six in it. That's branding like, one hundred and one. I mean, like that's yeah, it's exactly. the emotion that you're creating. It's it, the logo could be so totally different. And we will love it just as much as long as there is some opportunity mm-hmm. to engage. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Rob Thomas, for that thoughtful question. Everyone send your questions in. Yeah. Podcast at upper90club.com. We talk about it. Okay. Yeah. Um, so last week, I kind of moved things along, I think, before we were done talking about some crew coaching staff updates. I know we're jumping around a little bit, but I want to make sure that we get back to that. There were some other announcements there. Um, Mort, I think you're closest to this. Can you talk us through those updates and we can discuss? 
Yeah, I wanted to circle back on that because I, I think it's kind of important um, what he did or what the, the, the crew did here. Uh, we we did mention the uh, the uh, that we brought in the assistant coach from Montreal, Kwame Ampadu, which obviously had a really, really good background, very experienced coach and so on. But we also brought in a couple of other uh, coaches that have very good experience. Uh, one big one is uh, Johan Dame, I think it is. Uh, he's a 30-year-old, uh, 32-year-old from France mm. that started coaching already at the age of 16. Um, yeah. he, he comes from Galaxy and was a Galaxy 2's head coach uh, prior to uh, being the assistant coach last year. But more interestingly enough about him was that he coached Montreal's like in 2015 as the U18 coach. And you know who we took that after? He he took over from Nancy in that role when he was moved up as an assistant mm. in Montreal. So it's clearly that he's bringing in a coaching staff that has similar philosophy and obviously similar language because they're all French speaking. Right. Um, and uh, sounds and, like nepotism. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, just before I move on on that in that area about culture and so on, he also felt uh, we also moved up Phil Burger. Burger or Burger from uh, Crew Two, which had a phenomenal season. You know, obviously we had the most clean sheets uh, last year in in, uh, in the uh, next Pro League. Goalkeeper and coach. then also we brought in also yeah the goalkeeper coach. Yeah. Also, um, um, Short was the uh, goalkeeper of the year. Yeah, and we also grabbed the fitness coach from Montreal, Jules Guguen. I am just guessing because I'm not speak French is very well. Um, but like we know today that obviously fitness uh, fitness coaches has a much bigger effect on a team now than they did 10, 15 years ago. It's a huge sure. role. The other yeah. thing is like, I mean, now we have crew regular season. We have the U.S. Open Cup. We have Leagues Cup. Like they're going to be playing a lot more games a la like Europe where they have like multiple games like Wednesday games, Saturday games. And like what do we see over there is like a lot of injuries. So. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I would not want to be the fitness coach. Is that because of like in, increased and enhanced data collection and analysis? Yeah, sophistication is totally different. Yeah, I think the level of you know when we go back to the uh, the stories from the eighties and nineties and EPL and and how those guys were like drinking for days, the drinking the night before the games. We were talking about Wimbledon, right? Yeah, kind of like the crazy gang and. That that wouldn't hold up anymore. I mean, the, because the the pace, the the uh, the uh, expectations, the, demand. the professionalism is very different what it used to be. So I think that is pretty big. But more more importantly for the crew is the fact that he really took that, you know, the, these people that have an understanding of what he wants to achieve. He has a culture. He has a he has a belief in how he wants things to look and how he wants things to play, and he brought it all with him. Um, and it's very also clear by the choices he had made that player development is is huge for him. Yeah, and I yeah. think I think when he took over with Thierry after Thierry Henry got uh, fired, was that they they had like some old guys and a bunch of youngsters, and he he managed to to really uh, make them excel very got the quickly. best out of them. And I think I yeah, and I think that combination with him and this Crew Two squad that is so strong. Can be a, a it could be a match made in heaven. Yeah, um, I was reading so. all this stuff today on because I, I keep seeing on Twitter uh, people saying like, "Well, when's our next sighting? What's going on? We don't even have a team." Yada yada yada. And w from what I'm reading is that uh, Wilfred is basically his mo is taking the talent he has and the young talent and getting the best out of them and making it work. So he's able to look at the entire team. And then fit these players in. So he's not really looking for big name signings. I think he's going to use a lot of these crew two players. And, uh, you know, I mean, that's that has to be what's going on because we just got, you know, Keegan Hughes, who's super young, who just came from Stanford. We just got um, we're, we're signing a lot of these crew two guys. It just makes sense that we're not going to go after anybody big. And he I mean, he did come out and say that the, he was most impressed, I think, with uh, Quinton. He's one of the the really young crew two center backs, and he's like he was the one that's been impressing me the most. So it's awesome that he's not 
pulling a, oh, I'm a new coach. I want my guys. But when he says, I want my guys and he brings them in, he's talking about the coaches, not the players. So he's taking what he has on his players and saying, hey, I'm going to get the guys to help guide you through this stuff. I don't know. Gives me warm, fuzzy feelings. It just seems like he he's great. Help, help me understand this. Is this is is all the pulling from the crew to is this a phenomenon of that league existing for a year and this is now a new pool of talent that was previously not tapped into letter a letter b is it the style of the coach we've always had pools of players that we could pull from and nancy is is just utilizing that and and we're hyper aware of it because we're talking about this every week or c have we always done this and I just didn't know any better? I think the accessibility of talent and 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 the ease of moving them, transition them up. This is that's so new. it's an MLS Next Pro <clears throat> phenomenon. Yeah, Next Pro have have allowed us that a little bit more, I believe. Oz, what do you think? I mean, I think it's somewhat existed to some extent, but uh, yeah, I agree. It's the accessibility to it. Um, well, you, I mean, we've seen homegrown players come in, but like, rare, I I feel like we're talking about internally developed players a lot more than I remember talking about in the past. The coaching systems working together, MLS Next Pro coaching with the first team's coaching, I think even rounds it out even more. Mm -hmm. But I I also think it's both because we're talking about some crew two guys, but then the last guy was that we're literally just talking about Keegan Hughes. He's not, he was a homegrown player who was was an academy player. So like we have an academy player and then we have a crew two guy. So he's taking a look at both. You know, and I, I think that's, I, I think it's not just crew two. Like, well, I think the, the other important part not to forget about is that crew two won the championship last year and were a very successful team. So it's easy to look to them for talent versus if this team was bottom of the barrel, we, we'd be going, why in the world are you pulling players off that team? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we had exceptional players on crew two. Yeah, we did. But it's, it's easier to keep keep hold of of talent and have them have a little more patience and stick around when you can offer them the next pro and you can bring in a, a couple of guys that hey you know this is maybe my level and i have experience and i'm a, I'm a solid guy we have a couple of those i believe on cure two as well that has a little more age that can you know put their uh, arm yeah. around the, the younger kid's shoulder and really show the way that we wouldn't have had in the old model because it would be kind of the academy and then the the, uh, the 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 main team so i think that's a, that's a huge benefit okay well thanks for circling back on that um glad we we closed that loop and um i know that we have a few more things to talk about with the usmnt so uh, we will do that after a quick break hey columbus are you looking for a place to get fit but don't know where to start pure strength and wellness has everything you need to achieve your personal goals Whether it's focusing on fat reduction, increasing mobility while decreasing pain, or just generalized fitness and stamina, Pure Strength and Wellness provides one-on-one personal training to get you where you need to be. Located at 734 Garden Road in beautiful Clintonville, their 4,000-foot studio is the perfect place to begin your journey. So come on in and speak to a qualified trainer to find out which is the best fitness package for you. And welcome back to the club. Welcome back uh, to the club, everybody. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. Uh, so I think we wanted to spend a little time talking about the men's national team. We had a couple friendlies last week against uh, Serbia and Colombia. Uh, we won't spend a ton of time talking about them. A uh, couple other things we, we'll we'll circle back on. But going into the Serbia game... Um, and I, I, let's just talk about two games together. I mean, there were two full rosters, but um, I don't know that there was a lot of overlap between the two. Um, more, why don't you pick a couple people that you thought played well, and then we'll kind of go around and, and get everyone's take. Yeah. First of all, it was clearly this was just a showcase of players and potential future player or just to kind of, making sure that we might grab some talent in the future, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, a couple that stood out for me, it was two of the players we talked about um, last week. And uh, one was Vasquez. I think 
in that first game against Serbia. He came in also against Colombia, but he seems to be a more complete player than most of the guys that were out there. You know, he had good movement. He doesn't do a lot, but he's he's the number nine. And he seems to have like a purpose with everything he's doing. Um, so I like him and I he really needs to go overseas and leave Cincinnati for mm. all the good reasons that there is for, from from doing that. Yeah. He's so, an absolute unit too. That guy is yeah, built. Like he's he's built. I, I, I think there's uh, a huge upside with him. And I, I'm very curious to see where he goes from here. Um, I want to mention one more, and that was the other one. That was uh, Zendehas. Zendehas? Zendehas? Yeah. Zendehas. 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 <laughs> Zendehas. Uh, <laughs> I, he, he started, like, he was kind of invisible in the start of the game. But in by the end of the game against Serbia, I felt like anything good Zendehas. that we created came through him. And he was had a, bit, a lot of hustle in him. He had uh, a lot of good passing and and a lot of effort and energy. So I, I thought I thought that was another uh, good takeaway, and I, also a guy we want to take away from Mexico, obviously. Yeah, agree. I think before we go on, we got to talk about Aiden Morris. Yeah, like we got to we got to we got to oh, yeah. talk about Aiden. Great Morris. to see him starting. Um, let's just go around real quick and just kind of get everybody's take on on Aiden Morris, and you can end with me because I got all the. All right, I'll to start. Say. Great hair. Yeah, great. Incredible. All right, podcast over. See you guys. Good night. That shot. He had that shot. Oh, yeah. I wanted it to go in. So the keeper made a great save. Um, And I don't know. I just, I saw him getting the ball, turning, distributing pretty quickly. I think he had a few turnovers that I saw people complaining about. I didn't get to watch the full first game or any of the second game, but uh, I just like seeing him get time with the U.S. I think you hit something right there. I think he had a willingness to take the ball, turn with it, and create something with it, which was great. The other thing I think, he just seemed to find himself involved in the play. Somehow, even if he doesn't do anything like incredible, he just seemed to be in the position where he can influence the play, which I think is a great attribute. So hopefully he can bring some of that with him for uh, for this season for us. Trey, what do you got? It was good to see him playing for the national team. Is it the future of the U.S. national team? I, I think so. We had a text thread that just went on and on and on about this, and I was just, I was just dying on my hill. Uh, yeah, I think the first thing that I noticed was that he would get the ball and he would never just play the easy pass back to the fullbacks. He would always try to take it up and move it up the field. Exactly what Mort said. Like he never just played the easy pass. So I thought that was. Very important. I also thought when they lined up, he played as the sole six. Like he didn't play like he did next to Nagby for the crew. So he didn't have a buddy next to him to kind of like help him out. He was literally left on an island right in front of the two center backs. And then if you notice, like Jogo and Gressel were like way up the field. I mean, Gressel got the assist. He was like all the way up there. Yeah. And the problem is I kept seeing Aiden Morris way up the field. Everyone was saying, well, he's slow and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, he's playing as a number six by himself, and he's constantly just moving up the field. So long story short, before I get too long-winded, I think he would be better off playing like a number eight in a system where he's not just supposed to be just there for defense. I think he's more of like a – he's not a number 10. He's not that creative. But if you're asking him to sit right in front and distribute kind of like Michael Bradley or sit and – be a Tyler Adams, you're not going to get that. That's not his style. So, you know, all the criticisms I heard, I'm like, yeah, but he played out of position. And he was, I mean, he's an eight. He's not a six. And they left him on an absolute island. Because I think Paxton Pomacol had a terrible game. Yeah, I, I think the hardest part about it, I mean, the reason why I was so short before is that these games, it's hard to judge don't anything matter. They because they don't matter. Aiden played well. Yeah, He did what he did. Cool. I'm happy he's there. I'm happy he was selected. I'm happy he was starting. He was a bright spot on a team of extremely young talent. You know, a hodgepodge of characters. Trey was so excited about these games, guys. <laughs> he could not care less about these games. He's like, these um, don't so matter. It, there was definitely like a, there was definitely like a, a scrimmage kind of aspect yeah, and vibe yeah. to it. Yeah. Oh, it was just a tryout but, scrimmage. Yeah, but exactly what okay. It was. So, but through that lens, like, you know, are there? The question was. Name one or two folks who who jump out jump out at you. Um, 
you know, even if the stakes of the game are low, we could still um, get excited about about somebody on the field. So, who else from this game? Uh, I kind of want to talk about John Tolkien for just a quick second. That's the next game. That's the next game. It's fine. I said let's talk about both. No, I don't want to no, go. No, that that's okay because I I actually agree with Ben. I think up up that left side, Tolkien and Aronson, and even Hoppy a little bit in the second game actually looked really good. Um. Aronson is a little bit less scatterbrained than his brother when he's playing, which is nice to watch. He's a little bit more controlled. Um, but he's a scatterbrained. He is. Yeah, yeah he's, he's got he's, that. He's but it's not a bad energy. thing. He's young. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I the second game looked better, but you also, it was more of a BC, a BC squad because you had multiple World Cup players in that squad. You had Zimmerman, you had Long, you had Acosta, you had Ferrer, you had Areola. I mean, I know he didn't go, but he was highly in it. Um, yeah, so it, it was a more solid squad, but they played up and down the field with Columbia in that game the entire and the entire time, which was good to see. Athletically, that was nice to see. It was a fun game to watch. I, like I said, I, I think Tolkien and Aronson were actually entertaining to watch. Um, Zend- I don't know, Zendaya didn't play in this game, but um, no, he was, no, back he got in, yeah, he, he good, was back, yeah. But he flew back and then he played the next day. He started the next day for yep. sure. Uh, I mean, America. you mean for a game that actually mattered? Yes, he, he yeah. did that. I thought Cucho was uh, played really well, considering I thought the players around Cucho did not do well. Well, he did play him. Did played on the west left wing though. He he played like a he he, he didn't play his position. No. He played well when he had the ball, but. He was he was not used to a. Yeah. I think, I, I think he, had, he had a couple through balls that I thought were like yeah. you know pretty awesome because I mean Cucho for us does drop back every once in a while and collects the ball and tries to move around but I don't know it was good to see I mean the the main thing across this entire thing I thought was fitness I mean these most of these guys are like MLS players that are not even in season they had just checked back like two weeks ago from just you know from you know Christmas turkeys and stuff like yeah. that like they weren't they weren't ready to play ninety. Um, minutes like at all uh we can move on i just want to talk about two more guys really fast i thought neil in the back who is an la galaxy guy who's got i think i read like 20 total minutes in the mls like he doesn't play for galaxy he's like a backup and barely Mm. plays he's 19 i thought he looked awesome yeah Um, another guy that i kept seeing people tweet at bez for the crew was sonora because he actually doesn't have a club right now and I thought the way he plays and the ball is like at his feet. Like he, it's not, it's not like he's the only guy I saw that didn't have the ball like scoot out like two yards every time he touched the ball. He was like very composed in the middle. And I think the crew could use somebody like that. He's, like I said, he's an agent right now. And I, where is he from? He's not attached. Independiente, wasn't that where he came from? Something like that. Yeah. He's, but he's not attached anymore. And they loved him there. So I'm not sure what happened, but I know. When I opened up Twitter, it was just like everybody tweeting at Bez, like, "Hey, this guy. What this position guy? does he play? Uh, like an eight, like in the middle." And what so. about what about the camp as a whole? Do you, I mean do we do we feel like we can have any kind of meaningful opinion from these games or or anything else going on uh, coming out of them? Based on time, like the the fact that like nobody's in the middle of the season, nobody is at their, their best to me. I'm, I guess the odd man out thinking this was really just fun to watch like a bunch of random people. I didn't know, have them get called in like Sabi who I'd heard about. And I actually hadn't seen Zendaya really play cause I don't watch club America. So it was good to see a bunch of like, you know, fringe players or super young players get a run out. But I mean, I don't, there's nothing that holds water. Yeah for these guys but it was just fun yeah and so we've been saying that um you know we're the farthest or the farthest possible point from the next world cup we're four copa america is years out right so that's what i wanted to say a year and a half away yeah and it and coming to the u.s so what what do you guys think i mean that sounds it's huge yeah yeah it's huge Yeah, it couldn't. Yeah. It's huge, massive. I, I I hope this is something that became the norm. Maybe every other or something like that. I we need the competition in North America outside of Mexico. You know, Canada, U.S., and Mexico. Maybe so one of these other countries every now and then. 
there's not enough competition in the regular, you know, in regular qualifiers or whatnot in Gold totally. Cup or whatnot. And I, I think, uh, I can't think Connable, Connable, or whatever they call them. Connable. I must see this as a financial opportunity now that, you know, the growth and interest in, in especially in the United States and Canada has become so much bigger. And also Mexico with a huge population. It must be an upside for them as well. Especially right before the World Cup, which is in the United States. Mm-hmm. They're going to, two years prior, have Copa America in the United States. It is yeah. just a cash cow. Like whoever, yeah. it, it's a it's it's a long time coming. I, I mean, at this point, I, I kind of foresee dividing the earth in half. And it's like every two years, like the left side is going to play against each other and the right side is going to play each other. And then every four years, we all come together and play together. It's, I, I, I'm stoked. I'm ready for it. Yeah. I think the biggest question is, at least on the U.S. perspective, will be who's going to be leading us into that tournament. Because I I don't think it's going to be Hudson. I hope it's not Hudson. Yeah. Yeah. We can, so we can talk about the coach. I don't know that we're going to, I mean, I don't know that we're going to know what's going on with the coach situation. There was actually an update, update today from uh, President Cindy Parlow. I, mm-hmm. I didn't know. Yeah. And that they said the, um, that Burhalter remains a candidate, but they won't make a decision until they have a new uh, sporting director. Well, this is, yeah. So this is what I was going to say is that we have new vacancies that, that kind of supersede the, the coaching hire or, you know, who's going to be in that, in that role. Um, there was, uh, Ernie Stewart exiting in the last week, or it could have been two weeks ago. McBride leaving. Um, let's talk about that. We've kind of avoided this because it's 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 especially the Bearhalter situation with the rain has has been a complete dumpster fire. Um, so, what do you guys think about what's going on at the top? Uh, is it good? Is you know should should we should we be happy about have having new faces uh, leading the organization or or not? Well, let's let's start out. Let me premise this. So when Eddie or when Ernie, I keep calling him Eddie Stewart. When Ernie Stewart announced that he was gone, and we heard that McBride was gone, um, it went through our text thread, and the first thing I said was good because I was like, yeah, you know, I I'm kind of over the you know every the U.S. guys just hiring their friends in and stuff like that. Yeah. And then that's nepotism. I got a ton of pushback for, from everybody. <laughs> and I was like, what? I thought this was like, you know, we were sick and tired of, you know, basically everybody hire. And then I'll let Tracy kind of take over. Cause he definitely put me in my place and I was completely wrong. And I think he has a very good, like a very good take on how all this, this landscape act, actually looks not. Just and just real quick, he went mm-hmm. to PSV. Is that correct? He that did. is correct. PSV Eindhoven, which is all I wanted I, to touch on. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing for Ernie is, I mean, he is, he grew up in the Netherlands. Um, his dad was a serviceman in, sur- was stationed in the, ne- in the Netherlands. I'm not even going to try and pronounce where he's, where he's from. So it's not like he ran away to a European country for some other reason. Um, he has roots that are heavily seated in his wife and kids lives there right now. He's exactly. just going home. Yeah. Which is fine. <laughs> He's, oh man, where do we start? Okay. So I think the biggest <laughs> issue that I have with this is that it is not good when your top brass is all being vacated. Like, I don't, I, I, I don't care if you agree and or disagree with the fact that they should be leaving or fired or whatever else, the fact that you're all of your top leadership from your head coach to your sporting director, to your GM are all leaving. That is not good. And, and the fact that it is even considered in the Twitter space, that it is a good thing drives me insane. This has been the most successful four years. U.S. soccer has ever had highest win percentage. Nope. Don't argue with me. Highest win percentage. <laughs> most tournaments. <laughs> most tournaments. Most victories over Mexico. Most international players playing abroad. The best transfers we've ever seen. The most growth in MLS domestically. 
the last four years have been fantastic. Whether you like the playing style is, is irrelevant. The quality of the system, 2017, when we, 2018, when we missed out in the World Cup, I was at, in Philadelphia at the coaches' convention when all of the candidates for the U.S. soccer were going through their spiels. You had Hope Solo up there. You had Eric Winalda up there. You had uh, Cindy Cohen up there. You had all of these people. And everybody wanted to change. Nobody wanted the previous, you know, button-up suit-and-tie people. It was scream from the rafters, get players in there, get people who know what the game is like. That's what they did. And they were successful. Under 99% of all measurements, the most successful. The only thing you can say is they got beat in the round of 16 in the World Cup. Besides that, you don't have anything to stand on. Well, and I I think the the important point that you're making also is that even if the results would not have been the best, you know, if they were kind of middle of the road, introducing the amount of uncertainty that comes with vacating all of your top leadership all at once at the beginning of a cycle where you're bought where you're you have a buy into the World Cup. So you're not really going to be tested. You know, we're going to be... Correct. Any game that we play coming into the World Cup is going to have flashes of the uh, indifference that we just expressed with these last two games. I mean, we'll be right. we'll be staffing... We'll be staffing real, real lineups and we'll be refining who's going to play, right? So from on the field, we'll have an idea. But, but you don't get players on the field without all of the infrastructure above it deciding Correct. What, what the vision and the mission is and introducing that uncertainty is stupid. Uh, not, not to say that they, that it was, you know, a decision to, to do this, right. I mean, these guys left on their, on their own, but um, sure. Yes. A hundred percent. And and that's one thing I'm going to real quick, keep going because exactly what Mark was saying is that if these players, if this had been, McBride comes out without any of the Berhalter drama. Let's just put leave it on its own. But McBride comes out of the World Cup. I'm going to step aside. I've fulfilled my role. It's going to be moved on to so-and-so. Six months later, eight months later, Ernie Stewart, same thing. I'm going to move on. We're going to do this. But at this point, they will have filled McBride already. Ernie Stewart leaves. They fill that role. And then Berhalter steps down, whatever, fills the coach. That is a natural transition of power that is a good optics. This is bad optics for U.S. national team, for the U.S. national team. For U.S. soccer, this doesn't look good. Yeah, McBride actually stated before the World Cup that he was leaving. No, um, that, so, that, so, that, was, that was a known thing. Yeah, no, that, it, was, it was known internally, I think. And I, I don't understand. Not Stewart, ti- though. Yeah, I don't understand the timing. It's very awkward. To put it <clears throat> that way, especially if he decided in October, why didn't say right after the World Cup that he was uh, was out if he didn't want to stir the pot? But Mike Bright, I don't really care. I don't think anybody really knows what he was doing, anyways, in that that point. But Ernest Stewart is 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 more critical, and I think some of the debate that we have going back and forth was what is more important, the sporting director or the coach. And I think uh, Trey and I on our side was kind of arguing the fact that a sporting director, like to, to Mark's point, is the one that dictates the, dictates the culture, the, the blueprint, the organization. You know, what, what are we going to be uh, bringing up the youngsters and play? Or are we going to go leaning on the back? Or are we going to be more pragmatic or, or whatever else? He's also in charge of hiring the coach. Yeah, and, and exactly. And in right. charge of hiring the coach, that means if a coach is not working out, they hire another coach, but they don't tear everything apart. They might just pick another coach that can make that blueprint work better. So so I think right now that we don't have that, we don't have a coach, is it's it's yeah, it's an embarrassment, Trey. Yeah. It's it's like we've become a real big French soccer nation where there are <laughs> scandals and and uh, and affairs and and money under the table. Yeah, I, I think it's what what Trey was saying is like the optics of it is your coach 
your men's GM and your actual GM all leave within like three weeks of each other, it means it's a toxic and bad environment and something it's extremely wrong. And the other thing Trey's saying that I think is very important is that, that I forgot was that when we missed the world cup four years ago, what were we upset about? And we said, well, well, the issue is it's all suits and it's no, nobody that really understands the game. And so, you know, us soccer heard that and said, cool, got it. And they employed the people we wanted. And then the results reflected a positive, you know, whether we liked it or not, whether we liked how they played, the results are good. You can't argue against the results. I don't care who you are. So like, okay, what we would have liked to have seen is that four years go by, we're where we're at now, and then we make maybe another coaching change to take it a step further. But what has happened is we did not take a step further. It got so toxic in the past little bit that it just blew up. And now the top three people left. So it's like, okay, cool. We screamed about, we didn't want suits. We got players in and we got, and we did really well. We got to the world cup. We beat Mexico. How many times? Like it's not, you know, it's, we're in the best health of soccer in the United States. We would have liked to have seen it get better, but because of maybe, I mean, I, it's hard to argue against the Reina thing, but it seems like that was kind of the linchpin that just everybody's like, screw it. I'm done. Like this is not worth it is a very, very, very bad thing. Well, the other part about it is that like whatever reason it happened, whatever reason Ernie left, McBride left, Burhalter, whatever, we all kind of have our own speculative speculative ideas on on things. I hate hearing and I and I've seen on Twitter, I've seen it, you know, multiple different places that this is a good thing. This is not a good thing. That that is my biggest like hammering home a point is that this is not good for U.S. Soccer. And 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 shame on them actually too, because if Mike Bride was leaving, you already knew that. Ernie Stewart said, "Well, that was kind of already planned." Well, then two things: you should have planned it out better. You could do one out of two things. Ernie could tell PS, PSV that you know you have to hold on for two month, more months without me, or I can do some kind of dual role for a bit in the transition or come up with some plan. The fact that he just leaves is like Ben says, is a bad, bad sign. The other end is like if McBride knew that Ernie was leaving and I don't even know what he's going into because did he, was he going into something else? I haven't seen anything. Then maybe at least he would have an idea what Ernie was doing so he can do like a going into in a, in a role for a little bit until they find a replacement. Yeah. But it's it's just poor planning. That's 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 a yeah, obviously a Which thing. has been a U a US soccer thing is like constantly seeing like, oh, they could have done this so much better to make this work. It's they're that's like their MO is just I'm glad like, that you make, said that because yeah. I, I think what they need to do is send out a survey yeah. and they can ask us <laughs> what we think. And then they can do whatever they want and we'll and we all feel their, like we had a part in it. Yeah, and we'll email them back at no reply and, at ussoccer.com. You know, the emails will only go back to New Jersey. Go ahead. Yeah, right, right. I had this thought, you know, maybe, just maybe, Trey, maybe it's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, this, but it's like... I mean, yeah, if you're into Change. just like off yes. chance gambling, like if you it wanted, like it could, could be, it could be change. a good thing. Like, the change like betting could on be double zero thing. could be a good thing. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, perfect. Nailed it. Yeah, it could be. You could put your mortgage on red and just roll it. Like it's, yeah. But I don't even think it's 50-50. Because Tracy yeah. and I talked about this. I'm like, hey, man, it could be a good thing. Like, yeah. you know, we talked about Bielsa coming in, and maybe we get, like, somebody else. But if you look at the track record prior to, like, 2017-2018, and then you look at how we've dealt with stuff the past two years, I cannot, I cannot think that they are going to do anything correctly like they're going to do the most insane thing they can possibly do we've all heard kind of the rumors and the the the, um rumblings of of new york new jersey coaching trees and nepotism and all that kind of stuff that's the pentaveret yep yeah but also look at this you've got a guy that grew up in the netherlands and ernie stewart you got mcbride who grew up in the chicago area 
And then you, you, yeah, Burhalter, sure. But they got squeezed out. Yeah. Squeezed I out. mean, I get it. I want to see somebody else in there, but I want to go back to kind of like the pattern that they just did. But, you know, like, let's not go back to pre 2018. Let's move this forward in a positive step. Let's not look at the last four years as a failure and let's, you know, per, let progress. Let's progress. Like we had a successful company that's doing well. Don't blow it up if it's not too late. Well, I I think it is too late. Um, yeah. I think so, it is too late. <laughs> also, I will add that because of zero and double zero, uh, betting on red is in fact not a 50-50 chance. Um, all right. So now that we've established that, uh, and we won't have to apologize for it later because I know that you would have come back to talk about it. Um, the only thing I have left to say is go crew. Go crew. Go crew. Thanks everyone for joining the club. We hope you'll listen next week and every week, even in the off season to celebrate or commiserate. We'll save you a seat. If you like this podcast, please give us five stars and subscribe. You can email us at upper90clubpod at gmail.com. That's upper90clubpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at upper90clubpod. Go crew. And everybody say Zendejas. Everybody say it. Zendejas. 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 Las Vegas? (laughs) (laughs) Las Vegas.